My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, to put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The big story of today, it really had nothing to do with earnings season. And while it didn't control the action, Dow's dipping 28 points. This would be backsliding 0.06%. NASDAQ inching down 0.1%. It still cast a pull over a whole host of stocks. I'm talking about the latest reminder, once again, that Amazon is indeed the Death Star. Not just when it comes to retail anymore. At this point, the question isn't what Amazon disrupt. You have to ask, what can't they disrupt? Any company with any kind of consumer product could potentially end up in their crosshairs, and that's a very dangerous place to be. Today, the Death Star opened fire on Spotify. And I think it's worth taking a moment to walk walk you through what is happening here. Because Amazon has become an unstoppable force. This won't be the last target. Now, I like Spotify. I've been a fan of the stock since it started trading about a year ago. Music streaming service has a chance to become the next Netflix, and Spotify totally understands what you want before you want it, thanks to artificial intelligence platform that they use to predict your taste in music. I love their freemium business model, where you can listen to songs for free with advertisements, like an online version of radio, or you can pay up for an ad-free experience. We use Spotify at home and our two restaurants. Our kids love it. This is one of those services that we pay for regularly without even thinking about it. Plus, I like the company's recent acquisitions. Let them dominate the rapidly growing podcast business. As of yesterday, Spotify seemed like it was well on its way to having a huge competitive moat with the technology necessary to keep you hooked. Then this very morning, we learned. We learned that Amazon's thinking about rolling out a similar service. Boom! Spotify plummets six points today. Look, I have no idea how real Amazon's foray into streaming music might be. But maybe they're just floating a trial balloon. But now that we know that they're interested, Spotify's stock will never trade the same way again. Can you imagine? Never again. Amazon has a huge installed base of 100 million devices that could easily make this service work, destroying Spotify's moat, potentially turning into an absolute ulcerant in its own industry. Every time this stock goes higher from now on, you're going to hear that Amazon is about to crush it. Just like that. I've told you before that Amazon can't, can't devastate an entire business overnight, but it can absolutely have the competition to waste or, or any time it wants to. Anybody remember Tower Records? I've been the original one. How about Borders? Shop there. That's what I thought. This kind of assault has become an almost daily occurrence. Slowly but surely, the Death Star is conquering the galaxy. A couple of weeks ago, Walgreens supported Dismal Quarter. I mean, simply awful. With weakness in both the front of the store and the pharmacy. No one wants to say it, but the margins for the front of the store are being eaten alive by Amazon. The pharmacy, if you look up an Amazon subsidiary called PillPack, you can see that they're offering a cheaper, more convenient way to get your drugs. Walgreens, it simply isn't ready. But maybe it doesn't even matter how ready you are. CVS now gives you the same day delivery via shipped for $7.99. 
They diversified away from drugstores by merging with Aetna. Yet the stock's been crushed, just like Walgreens and Spotify, for, for that matter. You know what? I like it. I've been dead wrong, in part because of drug reimbursement, but in part because of relentless Amazon. Then there's FedEx. These guys don't need Amazon's business, but now Amazon's using its own delivery service to keep prices down. That's a different story. Their sheer scale is an existential threat to anyone in the parcel industry, although FedEx's CEO, Fred Smith, came right here, well, satellite, and told us that these initiatives haven't hurt his company one bit. I believe Fred. But people keep fear-mongering about this great company. And they keep telling you how vulnerable it is to Amazon, even though it's not. The possibilities here are endless. Let's say Amazon builds its own delivery system. Forget FedEx and UPS for a second. What happens if they go up against Grubhub or Uber Eats, for that matter? Or how about this upcoming Pinterest IPO? I look at this company and I say, hey, but I said, well, I don't know. What couldn't Amazon duplicate here? Last week, Bed Bath & Beyond got crushed. Why? The company's trying to compete online. But I don't see how they can beat with Amazon in its own game. And just making the attempt has crushed their margins. If you read through uh, the annual letter from Jeff Bezos last week, you know that Amazon Web Services could soon pose a threat to all the analytics companies that, are, that find patterns in data or help you harness the power of the web. There's a whole universe of software stocks that deserves low multiples if Amazon Web Services keeps adding more functionality. And giving it away, by the way. Of course, not everybody's in danger. Some companies have found ways to immunize themselves against the Death Star. Today, Best Buy announced the changing of the guard, with CEO Herbert Jolie stepping down to be replaced by Corey Barry. She's the CFO. She's widely credited with creating a culture of service that made Best Buy a more popular alternative to Amazon, only if you're trying to set, set up anything complicated. But a lot of stuff is complicated. We know that the auto parts space was supposed to be run over by Amazon, but once that view was discredited, the group, including Autozone, just really took off. Home Depot and Lowe's, well, they sell bulky items, and you often need help navigating the more arcane aisles. Plus, gardening can't be Amazon, at least not that I know of. Cisco was supposed to be in danger when we heard Amazon might be making its own routers and switches. Turns out that's not happening. It's a great buying opportunity, especially because, uh, yeah, look, Chuck Robbins is trying to make it more of a software-defined network anyway. Off-price retailers, TJX, Ollie's Bargain, immune because they sell closeout merchandise, so Amazon can't undercut them on price. Dollar stores, too low a price point. Microsoft's Azure and Google's web services divisions both represent real com- competition to Amazon web services, although Amazon keeps cutting its prices to knock them out of the fight. But honestly, I think Amazon could do just about anything it sets its mind to right now. It could create a stock market. It could have a currency, a currency of its own, like Kohl's which thank heavens has a partnership with Amazon. It could manufacture knockoffs of superior quality at Costco, Amazon toilet paper, Amazon bleach, Amazon pet food, the most trusted name in pet food, and it isn't even out yet. That's how dangerous this company is. Oh, we could create a competitor to rent the runway, or fix this, stitch fix. I mean, it's hard to imagine something they can't do. And who knows with what Amazon will do in that venture with J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway to bring down the cost of health care. They could theoretically have the same kind of bargaining power as Medicare and VA. Healthcare seems totally vulnerable. Why can't Amazon be your bank? Why can't they be your online credit card? Why can't it be your online doctor? Again, Amazon can be whatever it wants. So here's the bottom line, people. Next time you think about buying a stock, you need to ask yourself a question. Do your, add this to your homework checklist. Could Amazon come in and destroy the company's margins? If so, lower your expectations. Hey, some thought Jeff Bezos had been kind of uh, driven to distraction, but now it's clear he's more driven than ever, and nothing can stand in the way of this company's wrath. Let's go to Wesley in Texas. Wesley! 
Jim, thanks for taking my call in Rios in Texas. Mm-hmm. In, in light of everything that's been going on and happening with Bowen, I was wondering if now would be a good time to t- consider uh, Lockheed Martin uh, with a good dividend of, uh, I believe it's like 3%. Well, look, I like Lockheed Martin, but the problem is, even though the Democrats are actually pretty big spenders in defense, people feel that that this stock can't come back because the Democrats won the House. So I'm not going to recommend it to you, but thank you for the call. How about Randy in California, please? Randy. Hey, Booyah, Jim, and thank you with much gratitude from Long Beach. Okay, thank uh, you. I'm looking, I'm looking at... Um, the whole 5G build out and with your guidance, I'm well positioned with Cisco looking for something um, a little more risky and looking at NOK Nokia. The reason I'm asking, do you think it's bottomed and do you think this is a good place to enter for sort of a subset of this market? They appeal at a lower price point. Uh, and in a different marketplace than their competitors, well, Apple and Samsung. Yes, they and, are, Randy. I mean, they're really going up against uh, Ericsson, and they're going up against uh, Huawei. The problem is Goldman took it from a, uh, a took it to a sell today and talked about how the margins were getting weak. It does have 4% yield, but I did not like the tone of the call. It was a very important call, and I'm going to urge you to be careful. How about we go to Jason in Ohio? Jason. What's going on, Jim? Ah, not much. How about you? Oh, doing great. Hey, I want to thank you uh, for giving the recommendation of Disney last Wednesday. Friday morning, I made some mad money. Oh, that's fabulous. Thank you. Yeah, we, we hit that Disney well. I'm glad we did that one. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, uh, so my question is about the uh, cloud-based security company, OKTA Okta. Um, with all this news that we're hearing uh, regarding the trade talks with China. Right. And also the Chinese being accused of identity theft, intellectual property theft, things All such true. as that. Uh, this, this stock is up over uh, 300% in the past two years. You still think there's uh, room for growth, or should I cash, cash in and get out? What was the stock? Oh, Okta. Oh, look, I like Okta very, very much. My problem with Okta, by the way, is exactly what you said. It has run so much, and if it starts going down, people are going to panic. I think that at this price, let it come in a little bit on a market-wide sell-off. I just can't advise you to buy it right here. It's just too high. And I like the Okta guys, as they know. Let's go to Ann in Indiana. Ann. Jim, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Calling about AMN Services. Is this pullback a buying opportunity, you know, because of the healthcare sector being down, or is there a problem with all that insider selling? Well, you know, I, I found this all odd because we've been big fans of Susan Salka, the CEO. We have to have her back on to explain. Rather than uh, try to say something that's articulate about it, I can't. I've kind of taken my breath away. I think it is certainly. Uh, Inexpensive, but we ask, let's ask Ms. Salcombe. We'll find out. All right. Before you think about buying any consumer stock, you now must consider, is that company vulnerable to Amazon? There's only a few names that haven't been crushed by the desk store. All on Mad Money tonight. Snack Pack, Slim Jims, and Jiffy Pop. From favorite and, uh, snacks to healthy uh, choices, ConAgra's food is behind some of America's biggest brands. Can it offer up a hot meal and a hot stock? I'm talking with the CEO. Then after Tiger's big win yesterday, could an investment in golf be a hole-in-one for your portfolio? I'm hitting the links to find out. And Chevron starting the week fresh on the heels of its worst day in more than a year. 
I'm sitting down with the CEO to see if this $33 billion deal to buy Anadarko could pay off. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. If we learned anything over the last six months, it's that we should be more than willing to give good CEOs the benefit of the doubt when they're honest with us. Last December, ConAgra, the packaged food company, it's mine, Chef Boyardee, Hebrew National, Orville Redenbacher, Bertoli, Pam, Slim Jims, and many other brands reported a strong quarter. But CEO Sean Connolly also told us that his recent acquisition of Pinnacle Foods had some unanticipated issues, so it might take him longer to hit his synergy targets. In response, the stock got obliterated, quickly formed from 30 to 20 bucks in a matter of weeks. The thing is, if you sold Conagra down there, you got to be kicking yourself. As the company reported an excellent quarter last month, and they told us the integration of Pinnacle Foods is already back on track. Plus, Wall Street is warm to the food industry again. And last week, Conagra told a very bullish story in its annual 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 state. It was a very big annual state, probably the biggest I've seen other than Disney. No wonder the stock has surged back to 30 bucks, giving you a nearly 50% gain from its lows. So could this thing have more room to run? Let's check in with Sean Conley. He's the straight-shooting president and CEO of Conagher Brands. Get a better read on how his company's doing where it's headed. Mr. Conley, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim. Good to see you. Glad to be Good here. to see you, Sean. Great. Great that you're here. All right, so first, because your analyst meeting was so important, it set the tone. I'm going to ask you what you said you put to everybody. Why are you more excited about Conagra than ever? Because we've got a great portfolio, we've got the right people, the right culture, the right processes, and importantly, the right capabilities to continue growth and continue expanding our margins. We have built significant innovation capability over the last four years. You can see a lot of it here, and it's really exciting. Uh, and the problems with uh, Pinnacle behind? Well, they're executional in nature. You know, right, you folks weren't accustomed to Pinnacle running into challenges, but no brand is exempt from challenges. You have to innovate every single year and execute every single year. These were executional challenges, I said from the beginning, that we could deal with them. We had the capabilities to do it. And we introduced a deluge of innovation on the Pinnacle brands the other day, and I think we got a positive uh, feedback from our investors. I know that there's a ton of things here, but you've got three uh, key brands. I think it's really interesting. This is Bird's Eye, which we all use. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Chip's always not your brand, but you've decided to do something with them for Duncan Hines. Turn that around. Yep. And so it seems like it's in motion. Yeah, Pinnacle's challenges really have been largely confined to three big businesses, the ones you point out. The biggest of all is Birdseye. Birdseye is a juggernaut. It's got twice the market share of the next closest competitor, but it really needed to ramp up innovation. And we've got meaningful innovation coming out, including innovation based on ConAgra legacy capabilities that the Pinnacle team previously didn't have access to. So we're excited to bring those to our customers, and we're sharing that right now. I've got a lot of stuff from the analyst meeting, but one of the greatest lines was when you guys were talking about the notion, and I, this is slighting my own cohort, that look, look at our stuff. And here it is. It's just so funny. I love it. It says, um, ask yourself, do you still think this is a boomer brand? You literally said, listen, we're not the baby boomer brand that you think we are. Well, brands are evergreen, but only if you infuse them with modern attributes. Right. And so for the last four years, we've taken a large, vast portfolio and we've modernized it across the board. And our focus is making sure these brands resonate with young consumers, millennials. Everything you see here fits what millennials are looking for. They like bulls. 
They like bowls. They like plant-based nutrition. One of the great things about the Pinnacle portfolio is access to bird's eye and Gardein. These millennials are not just vegetarians and vegans. They're increasingly flexitarians. And now we've got some of these flexitarian assets to bring to them. Plant-based is a big movement, Jim. In the meantime, this is just a great category for you. That great category. Great acquisition. That Angie's Boom Chicka Pop has been a home run for us. It is the fastest growing ready-to-eat popcorn out there. It's a great category overall. And we've done similar things in meat snacks with Dukes, where we already had a juggernaut right. in Slim Jim, but Dukes gives us a more curated uh, uh, pure premium offering, and it's really been a home run. One of the things that you teach in your analyst day, and there's a lot of teaching, which I love, you talk about the ConAgra way, but you also talk about the old way of uh, you put TV, you do even yeah. some uh, some bus. What did you say? There's even you put them in, in bus yeah. uh, bus shelters. Bus yeah. shelters. Uh, yeah. You said that's how it used to be done. Everything that I learned when I started out is basically obsolete. Now. But isn't I that mean, how are you able to switch? We Most live, people can't well, switch. You, you got to be a lifelong learner, and and for us, it's very pragmatic. We're ROI focused. You know, we got to right. deliver profit. So if we spend money to build a relationship between our consumer and our brands, and it doesn't work. We're the first ones to pull that money and try something new. So, you know, two-thirds of what we do now marketing-wise is really digital, social. It's personalizing our content, especially for these younger consumers. And you know what? It's working. I think you need to tell again the younger consumers, it got lost in the whole pinnacle thing, why they like the frozen food aisle so much. Well, they like three things that we're doing. Frozen, they love condiments because they love bold flavor and they love snacking. And frozen condiments and snacking are three of our priorities. I think frozen is the perfect food form for today's consumers, especially millennials, because it's super convenient. They have no culinary skills, and they're the first generation to be making no less money than their parents. Skills. They really don't. And uh, they, I they, never thought of that. But they love good food. And, right. and one millennial told us, when, they, when I get home at, at 9 o'clock at night, I'm tired, but my taste buds are not. And they're used to having eaten out at restaurants when they grew up. They don't want to eat lousy food. They want to eat great food. And one of the things we're doing is making the food great again. Because for years, the industry kind of got away from great food. And I think yes. you see that changing. But I think that also your packaging, I mean, there was an old way for Wishbone. And it looked like our grandparents' Wishbone. It does matter, right? Well, Wishbone's an interesting one because that's one of the businesses that struggled after we made the right. acquisition. And right. when people shop salad dressing, what they're looking for is variety. And there was a issue with the label change that the team had made. The variety was hidden. That's an easy fix. We can get those back into the marketplace pretty quickly. No, I was going over these with my wife. I wasn't telling her which ones were you. I, I named some of the old ones. And then I said, Frontera, Boom Chicka Pop, um, Biggs, Deuce. And she said, well, those are all good brands. That must be a different company. I mean, you, know, you have to work to try to make it so I know you love the older brand. Legacy did well. Well, we like incrementality. So when we take a legacy iconic brand like Healthy Choice and we modernize it, we get big time velocities, turns off the store shelf. But when we can add a new modern brand to that, like an Angie's Boom Chicka Pop, we might be able to access some incremental consumers. You put it together, you end up with a higher overall household penetration that you, than you would have had if you just chose one strategy versus the How other. How much promotion are you doing in store? Well, it's, we do a tremendous amount of partnering with our customers right okay. now, and it's, it's getting access to their data so we can tailor our content right, to so consumers. Good. It's sampling in store because these products are really great to eat. It's things like getting merchandising at the end of an aisle when, a, when an item is new on shelf so consumers can find it. Right, because these are always, I see these, and I always and pick them up. those are brand new, absolutely. I always pick them up. Well, I want to thank Sean Conley, Conagra Brands President and CEO. You had that faith in him because look what's been accomplished. And are these not things that maybe my generation isn't needing, but we don't want my generation anymore. We want the people of lifelong and when you're 20s and 30s and they'll stick with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. All right, Sean, thank, thank you. you so much. Mad Money's back after the break. 
forget Game of Thrones. Yesterday, we got the world's biggest twist in the king of games, golf. After spending years in the doghouse, Tiger Woods made a remarkable comeback at the ripe old age of 43. I mean, I hate he's young enough to be my son. Going on to win the Masters Tournament, his first major championship victory in more than a decade. Oh, it was a monum- monumental moment for golf. I watched it, so did you. As Tiger's now back on track to achieve greatest of all time status. But more importantly, I think it could have a hugely positive impact on the golf industry. Tiger Woods may be a deeply flawed character. But there's no denying that the guy is a superstar, and superstars are great at selling merchandise. Merchandise. Now, I've been a big fan of golf stocks for roughly two and a half years, and many of these names have been terrific long-term winners. Still, a lot has changed recently, and now that the sport once again has a truly iconic player who can actually win, I think it's worth going back over the golf place to figure out which ones have the best prospects going forward. First, for those of you who know nothing about golf, you have to understand that the seemingly boring sport was already on the road to recovery thanks to a major transformation in how people play the game. See, for the younger generation, playing a full 18 of holes of golf, well, that doesn't do it for them. This is a part three. But in recent years, we've seen the rise of a new approach to the game, so-called course concepts like Top Golf. We've talked to you about this. It's the interactive driving range chain. Emphasis on the words interactive. Top Golf started putting microchips in their balls. You hit them at targets in an outfield. It's kind of like a gigantic dartboard. And they can score every shot for accuracy and distance. Suddenly, a sedate experience like going to the driving range can become a lot more competitive and entertaining. It is fun. Come on. A couple months ago, Jeffries conducted a survey of 17 to 34-year-old kids in metro areas with at least one Top Golf location. They found that these off-course concepts really are bringing lots of people young people into the sport. At the same time, only about half of my baby boomer compatriots have retired. In addition to being the sport of kings, golf is also absolutely the sport of retirees. The number of new players has been rising steadily for years. And even in this age of cord cutting, golf media viewership is up. You better believe in those viewership numbers. And they're going to get better now that Tiger Woods is back at the top of his game. Let's see what he, how would he do with this one? But look, this is the way I play. See, look at this. This is how you do it. Hole one. The Jeffries piece goes on to recommend a pair of stocks we've highlighted before. A Cushnet Holdings, the aptly tickered Golf, G-O-L-F, which is the parent company of two major uh, golf brands, Titleist, okay, for equipment, and Footjoy for cleats. Those are mi- minor Footjoy. And apparel. And it also pushes uh, ca- uh, Callaway Eli for all home gamers. Okay. Now, uh, they make everything from equipment to apparel and also own a minority stake in Topgolf. So are these two pure plays still worth owning here? We started recommending Callaway way back in September of 2016 at $11.50. At this time, a Christian hadn't come public yet, and it was really the only pure play on the golf course, golf business. For the next two years, the stock poured higher, climbing to 24 and change last September. But then Callaway got obliterated by the market-wide sell-off. In the fourth quarter, it plunged to $14 and changed to the December lows. Since then, it hasn't really gotten its groove back, rebounding just a couple of bucks to $16.78 as of today. So while you still have a 46% gain in Callaway since I first got behind it two and a half years ago, you would have had a double if you had sold the darn thing last September. Bulls make money, bears make money, hogs, they get slaughtered. Why hasn't uh, Callaway been able to bounce like the rest of the market? Okay, at the end of November, we learned that these guys are borrowing $476 million. It's only a $1.57 billion company. $476 million in order to acquire Jack Wolfskin, which is a German company that makes all sorts of outdoor equipment, apparel, footwear. Unfortunately, it looks like the deal won't be additive to earnings until the second full year after it closes, and even then only slightly so. 
So Wall Street's reaction was extremely negative. Callaway stock plunging 9% on the news. That's why this one got hammered in December, and it's been keeping a lid on the share price ever since. Then when Callaway reported in early February the company delivered some terrific results, full-year uh, revenue forecast was fabulous. But management's earnings guidance disappointed investors. They're talking about a down year, in part because of the Jack Wolfskin deal. Uh, it's weighing more heavily on the numbers than they expected. My view, look, I'm not thrilled about this deal. I wouldn't have liked it even if the numbers were better. Why? Because the whole point of owning Callaway is that it was a pure play on golf. Once it acquires Jack Wolfskin, it will no longer be a pure play. That said, Callaway's got a great track record when it comes to buying other businesses. So maybe they deliver the benefit that they may get them a little better than the doubt. What about the tepid earnings forecast? Okay, look, these guys have historically practiced UPOD. They've underpromised and they've overdelivered. They did in 2017. They did in 2018. I suspect they're sandbagging again this year. Plus, the stock's absurdly cheap, selling for less than 15 times next year's earnings, even though it's got a 30% long-term growth rate. I think Callaway is a bargain. How about a Kushnet? Golf business that came public in 2016 took a while for this company to get its act together, but by the time the Masters rolled around last year, I recommended it 23 and change. A cushion reported a couple of amazing quarters. I thought it looked good, just like Callaway, the stock initially rallied. 27.87 last August, nice uh, 18% gain. But also like Callaway, it broke down during the fourth quarter. A Kushnet hasn't had any negative catalyst, though, which is why its stock has been able to rebound to nearly 24 today. Although, granted, it's up less than a buck since I got behind it last year. I think that's wrong. With the t- Tiger winning the championship, I think the Bulls got a case that's going uh, it's much stronger. A cushion has a terrific business, making golf balls with a lot of recurring revenue. They have 70% market share in the highest end balls. At the same time, the company's titleless brand is taking share and taking names in the high end golf club space. A cushionet has also embraced personalization. They're selling more and more custom merchandise that carries much higher margins. That's one reason why the company reported a strong quarter with equally robust guidance at the end of February. Best of all, man, this one is inexpensive, people. Less than 15 times next year's numbers. And unlike Callaway, there's no hair on this one, which is why a cushion is now my favorite go-to golf stock. How else can you play the golf renaissance? Hey, Nike basically got a four-hour commercial yesterday with the final groupie of Tiger Woods, Francesco Molinari, and Tony Finnell, all of whom are Nike golf athletes. Those Tiger Woods mock neck golf shirts they're already sold out in several colors on Nike's website. This is a small piece of the pie, but it sure can't hurt. Hey, how about CBS? Well, you know, but versus the Masters, could be a tasty takeover morsel in this era where everyone's desperate for more content. Discovery has a, a multi-year partnership with Tiger Woods to make their own content. Oh, and Comcast, the parent company of this network, also owns the Golf Channel. But here's the bottom line. I think the golf renaissance is about to blow up, thanks in part to Tiger Woods' effect. And right now, the best pure play in the industry is a Kushnet. That said, if you prefer something more beaten down, I still like Callaway down here. I think it's just more risky. I'd like to go to Eric in Arizona. Eric. Hey, Jim. I just want to say my favorite part of the day is your morning rundown from the New York Stock Exchange with Catherine Ross for the Action Alerts portfolio. It gives me content on what the market is doing and what to watch. Well, thank you. Catherine's fabulous. We have a lot of fun each day. And I'm glad you uh, recognize the videos at 10, around, a little bit after 10 to 10, uh, 20. And I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. What's up? My question is about Camping World. I initiated a position in January because it has a nice dividend. Marcus Limonis bought a bunch of stock at a higher price. But my question is, should I violate my basis and buy more? Oh, boy, this is a tough one. Uh, uh, they they got to put up some numbers. They have to. They have to put up some numbers uh, before I can recommend it. I mean, it has just not been doing well. 
And it is up 28% this year from the bottom, so I'm sure you can say it's doing well, but it really isn't because it's been cut in half. I have to uh, do, I have to wait for some good numbers. Penalty box. Sorry. Okay, Paul in Connecticut. Paul. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. My question is about Caesars, C-Z-R. How will the direction of the stock be influenced by Anthony Radio as a potential CEO and a possible sale to Eldorado Resorts or Golden Nugget? Well, I, look, it's up 38%. People keep talking about it uh, in M&A. I like Las Vegas Sands. I think Caesars can make you a little money. But LVS got a good dividend. It's got a good balance sheet. And it could be worth a lot of money. All right, with Tiger Woods sparking a, a renaissance in the golf industry, the potential winners are emerging. I like a Kushnet. And if you have an appetite for more risk, the beaten down Callaway could be okay, too. Much more mad money had Chevron just stepped on the gas when it announced plans to buy Anadarko for $33 billion on Friday. But the stock tumbled in response. What does it mean for the sector? I'm talking with the CEO. Then, why worries about the Fed tightening again are unwarranted. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I'm not allowed in that aisle. That's a millennial aisle. I'm allowed in that Delmont, the it's soup, Delmonte soup, the pears. I am involved. Wherever there's cans, uh, corn syrup, I yeah. am there. Sugary cereals and yeah. all that. Unbelievable that I like cheese with so much. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. All right, I've been waiting and waiting for some consolidation in the oil industry. There are simply too many independent operators that they're real good ones, by the way. And the stocks are so cheap that I figured some deal has to be inevitable. Finally, on Friday, we got the big one. Chevron told us that it's buying Anadarko Petroleum, a holding of my travel trust, which is a major exploration production company for $33 billion. I think it's a very smart deal. It's a game changer. Do not take it from me. Let's get a closer look with Mike Worth, the chairman and CEO of Chevron, who's taking some time during a very busy period to tell us about this Anadarko acquisition. Mr. Worth, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Have All a seat. Right. Good to see you. All right. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I have long loved Anadarko, even from the days of Mr. Hackett, because I always thought they had unbelievable properties. I was shocked that it never recovered, even from when they won the Colorado ballot, for heaven's sake. How come it was so, so cheap? And how did you know that it was the right time to go? Well, I'm not sure I can tell you exactly why it was uh, the right time and why they have traded the way they have. They're a very good company. Yeah. They, they've, uh, they've done a nice job high-grading their portfolio. They've got good management, and we like everything about it. It's a good company, good assets, good people, and a good deal. And, and you're now number one in the best area, maybe in the country, if not the world? In the Permian Basin? Yes. We, uh, we really like our position in the Permian. We like it even better now that we've been able to combine with, or when we combine with, with Anadarko's. And it is, uh, it is a great resource for our country and a great one for our company. Some people have been telling me that, look, the Permian's almost tapped out. Others have told me, are you kidding with the new techniques we have, the new science we have? It's, there's years to play. Years or decades. Decades. We have, uh, you know, we're right now drilling hundreds of wells. We see thousands and thousands of well locations and multiple benches that we'll be able to drill. And the technology does continue to get better. The practices get better. And, uh, and we see a lot of running room in the Permian. Before I turn to Permian, international has always been your specialty with Gulf of Mexico, but you, you're all over the world. This Mozambique facility, I love it, but there are insurgents there. 
um, there is there is worry. How can you make it so that that's safe? Because that is one of the great you're getting a gift. Well, it's a beautiful gas resource, and uh, we've operated in Africa for 100 years. So we're not unfamiliar with uh, some of the challenges that go with working in that part of the world. We've been in Nigeria, we've been in Angola, Republic of Congo, South Africa. So we, we know Africa, we know the precautions that we need to take to keep our people safe and our operations safe. And uh, Anadarko's done a really nice job developing this project, and we are, uh, we are highly supportive of their advancing it here prior to the close right. of the merger, and, uh, and we look forward to uh, a very successful project. No, you were able to get this. Some, some people are saying, look, I mean, my colleague David Faber said, there was a mid-70s bid by Occidental. You can't tell me why Anadarko chose you, because they chose you. You didn't. But your offer was one that they th- seemed to think was more compelling than another offer that was higher priced. Why did, why did they like Chevron, if you could give me any hint at all about why. Well, I, I can't really speak on okay. behalf of, of their board. I can tell you that we put together what we think is a full and compelling offer. There's a beautiful strategic fit between our two companies. We've got a very complementary position in the Permian, in the deep water, Mozambique. There are people, it's baseball season, Jim. It's right. a grand slam. Permian Basin, deep water Gulf of Mexico, Mozambique, people. It's a grand slam. You it doesn't get any how, better than how that. continuous you are. I mean, it's rather amazing how continuous you are in Permian. We've got about 75 miles where we've got a very contiguous, blocked-up area that we can develop it with great efficiency and, uh, and create real value for the shareholders of both companies. Now, I was surprised to hear you're talking about maybe shedding $20 billion of assets. I mean, do you really have that much that you're willing to sell? We've got a global portfolio, and, uh, and we've got a lot of value in really good assets from Chevron, really good assets that will come in from Anadarko. Right. And we're going to operate in a disciplined capital uh, regime. And we won't be able to fund everything that we have. What we've learned is there are projects that meet our economic thresholds, but they're not as strong as others in in our uh, inventory. And oftentimes those projects are a better fit for someone else. So we'll move assets out that are not the strongest assets in our portfolio that might be very good for others to, uh, to operate and invest in. Did you know that Occidental was on the verge of making a bid the same day? You know, we, we didn't know anything uh, other than our negotiations okay. and discussions uh, with Anadarko. Were you surprised uh, subsequent to know that Vicki Hobb was about to make a move? You know, I, I, I can't comment on that. I'll say right. we've made a full and, uh, and uh, compelling offer. Uh, it's a certain offer, and, uh, and we intend to close. Okay, now, uh, Pascagoula, that is uh, the gigantic third largest U.S. processor of heavy sulfur, Venezuelan crude. Now, it looks like Venezuelan crude is not coming. So what will you do with that facility? Well, we've got, you can run a variety of crudes. In, but not in yours like from Permian because it's light sweet. It's light sweet. So that's, that's one of the challenges with all the light oil coming out of the U.S. is more of it will be exported. The U.S. refining system is built to run different grades. But those grades are available in the world, and we're pretty efficient at optimizing feedstocks with shipping uh, into refineries around the world to, uh, to create value. One last question. Anadarko's last quarter was not up, not up to snuff, according to the stock market. I thought it was okay. Had a lot, you know, had some natural gas, had some little mishaps. But that ultimately did create the ultimate value. Um, was there anything about that quarter that, give, that gave you any sort of trepidation about this? No, we look through any quarterly or transient kinds of effects. This is a long-term business. Well, I want we people to listen decades. to that. See, because this is what happens. They have one bad quarter. You and I both know that's a great company. I was in shock. 
that it was hit so hard, given their reputation, how good they are, how good their properties are. That was a fabulous opportunity for you. It's a long-term business. They've got great assets, great people. We're really looking forward to bringing these together and creating value for the shareholders. Well, I want to congratulate you. I thought it was great. And you upped the buyback the same day you did it. That is just fantastic. That's Mike Worth, Chairman and CEO of Chevron. They bought one of my longtime favorites, Anna Darko, and I think it's going to be great for them. Mad Money's back here to the break. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skig? Dad, cover the lightning round. Let's go to Andrea in Ohio. Andrea. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Um, so I'm 20 years old, and I'm looking to invest in some speculative stocks. Okay. And I was just wondering what you think of TPNL. Well, that's about as speculative as it gets. That's a payment processor that's a niche payment processor. But you said it's speculative, so therefore I'm going to say... Bye, bye, bye! Okay, let's go to Jason in Massachusetts. Hey, Jim, a massive booyah to you from Boston, Massachusetts. All right, it's Patriot Day. What's going on? Not much. Uh, my question is this. Now that they've been dropped from the bidding on the Pentagon's Jedi Cloud contract, should Oracle be considered second class among the big cloud names? No, and is that money it's better fine. Than I mean, Oracle's just an inexpensive stock that needs a catalyst, and... Yeah, that didn't shock me. I mean, they've got a cloud business. I know that Larry talks about it a lot, but it's not like Amazon's. It's just not. Let's go to Phil in New Jersey, please. Phil! Booyah, Dr. Kramer. Booyah. What, what did they ask you about Walmart? Walmart looks like it's getting ready to go to like a 52-week high. Is this a good buy? Yes, I would buy it even right here. It's very inexpensive, and no one's championing it except for me, Brad in Michigan. Brad! Hey, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course, uh, Brad. Just wondering what you think about Nectar Therapeutics. Uh, not a great company. Uh, not a great company. Maybe they get, you know, people just want it for a bid because of oncology. I don't think it has it. I'm going to say. Don't buy. Don't How buy. about we go to Christine in Florida? Christine. Hi, yeah. How are you doing? All right, how are yes, you, Christine? I'm in Central Florida. Excellent. Nice and, nice and sunny here. Oh, that's good. <laughs> how are you doing, stock um, I'd like to know, what do you think of uh, the Home Builder Toll Brothers? I like the Home Builders. Thank you, Ms. Zellman, for pulling us in at the exact right time. I think that uh, Horton's a little better than Toll, and so is Lenar, but Toll's good. Let's go to David in Virginia. David. Booyah, Professor Kramer. Thanks for all you do for us. Thank you. Hey, Norwegian Cruise Lines, uh, it reached a 52-week high today. Is it time to ring the register, or do you think it's going to keep cruising higher? I think that, I think Frank Del Rio has told us a compelling story from day one, and I would stick with Frank, stick with Norwegian. How about Jaden in Illinois? Jaden! Hey, hey, Jim, how about Tiger Woods yesterday? Yeah, it was something, wasn't it? I enjoyed that. I wanted to know if it's a good time to buy a Bluebird Bio stock ticker B-L-U-E. Well, it, that one's always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Uh, you know what? I got to tell you, it's a great spec. If you want to do that, I'll leave it as a spec. How about we go to David in Kansas? David! Yes, sir. Go Eagles. Go Chiefs. Go Birds. Get the beat the Super Bowl. All right. All right. Buy stocks. I still want to buy it because it's still inexpensive. I wish it would come down. My travel trust wanted to buy it. We never got the chance. One more. Patrick and Iowa. Patrick. 
Hey, Jim. This is Patrick Beerbaum. Shout All out right. Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. My stock is Cadence Design System, ticker CDNS. Design automation software. If I ever remember Cadence, I once had a gigantic position in stock, and I like it very much. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Every night when I come out here and explain why we're not going into a recession, I mainly get pushback from people who argue that if the economy's doing as well as I'm claiming, then doesn't that mean it's time for the Federal Reserve to start tightening again? Their thesis, if I can keep coming up with examples of how things are better than expected, aren't we sowing the seeds of our own destruction? The last time things were better than expected, the Fed raised interest rates and the economy hit a wall. So if things are good, What's stopping Fed Chief Jay Powell from tightening again? Aside from President Trump's increasingly irrational tax on our central bank. Remember the president. Powell stopped tightening. He's doing what you want. Take yes for an answer. But to get back on track, this whole idea that either the economy's bad or it's good enough for the Fed to tighten is a false dichotomy. It's not an either-or situation. I don't know where people are getting the idea that when the economy's healthy, the Fed needs to switch directions and start hiking rates again. There's a middle ground, people, where business is better, but there's not enough inflation to warrant more tightening. Here's the thing. I'm not saying the economy's in great shape. The point I'm making is that it's foolish to view the inverted yield curve, the fact that some short-term interest rates are now higher than some uh, longer-term rates, as an arbinger of recession. We only have an inverted yield curve because the Fed messed up when it tightened in December. They know the situation's fragile, so I think they'll stay on hold. Why I am so confident that we don't have any more uh, rate hikes in the future, what is that about? Let's go industry by industry, and you'll know. First, retail. If your store is going to succeed in this environment, you need to offer value and convenience and a great online presence, unless you're selling incredibly cheap merchandise, like close-up merchants like TGX and Ollie's. Any retailer that doesn't have this strategy simply isn't doing that well. When is the weakest in nearly every department store chain aside from Kohl's? No reason for the Fed to get more hawkish here. Second, banking. When you see the profits these uh, companies are putting up, especially the $9.2 billion that J.P. Morgan made in the latest quarter, it's easy to wonder if the economy might be overheating. But the real gains here have come from digitization and rationalization. They're saving money by replacing human workers with machines. And while the loan growth is good, it's not inflationary. It's not great. What else? Most of what's working in tech revolves around the cloud. And the cloud isn't at all cyclical. The big numbers we keep seeing at companies like Cisco or Salesforce.com are all about helping their clients save money by embracing the power of the web. Again, digitization is deflationary. While the stocks of the transports are doing well, the actual companies aren't. It's too early to know if their moves are going to be correct. That is, unless we get a trade deal with China. Housing. Major home builders have managed to corner the market on the best real estate while really hurting their little guy competitors. Plus, the zoning laws are so difficult that smaller builders often have to give up and sell terrific properties. So don't presume housing's on fire just because the housing stocks are performing well. They're in two different directions. The autos are important. There's been no real pickup in auto sales, though. Although I continue to hear... Uh, good things about the mix at Ford. The softness in autos fil- uh, filters down to many metals and plastic companies. Finally, there's the rest of the world. China's finally had some stimulus that seems to be working. There's no getting around it. Europe's weaker than it was before Powell clocked the economy back on October 3rd. So to me, we're pretty much in the middle of the road where no tightening is needed. But if things slip, we've got plenty of room for the Fed to cut rates. That's what I'd be focused on here, not the possibility of another tightening. J-Pal learned his lesson after what we went through in that miserable fourth quarter. Stick with crazy. 
Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. City was pretty good. Goldman, people keep thinking it was so bad. The stock was up four on Friday. Remember I said it was coming in too hot? It's fine. Now, the partnerships historically has let people sell for the next couple of days. Usually means pressure today, pressure tomorrow, and then pressure Wednesday. Wednesday's the day you probably want to do some buying. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.